Amen. Would you look at somebody and tell them something nice? Like, I'm glad to see you today. You look nice. Thank you for being here. It's good to see all of you. To all of our guests, we welcome you. We're honored to have you this morning. So I'm going to share a little bit of humor with you. So there were three men and they were hiking through a forest when they came upon a violent, raging river. And needing to get to the other side, the first man prayed, God, give me the strength to get across the river. Poof. God gave him strong arms and strong legs and he was able to swim across the river in about two hours, but he almost drowned it twice. After witnessing that, the second man prayed, God, give me the strength and the tools to cross the river. And poof, God gave him a rowboat and strong arms and strong legs, and he was able to row across the river in about an hour, but he almost capsized once. And the third man, just having observed how these guys prayed, He prayed, he said, Lord, please give me the strength and the tools plus the intelligence to get across the river. Poof, he was turned into a woman. She checked the map, hiked a hundred yards upstream and walked across the bridge. So I'm back in good graces with all the ladies. (laughs) My thoughts today are going to revolve around Deuteronomy 29 and Genesis 15. What I want to talk today is about the blessings and the curse of the covenant. And that's what's in my spirit, and I would like to talk to you out of my heart today on this subject, the blessings and the curse of the covenant. God bless you. You can be seated. As one reads Deuteronomy 29, this chapter lets us know that Moses was nearing the end of his life. Moses is about to transfer his mantle of leadership to his successor, and that will be Joshua. And when a person is about to die, as we would say, they're on their deathbed, we tend to give significance to some of their last remarks and some of their last words. Because we feel like that what they have to say at the very end of their life carries weight and it carries significance. So the parting words of Moses are reminding Israel that they must be in covenant relationship with God. In chapter 29 and verse 9, Moses tells the people, Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. It was paramount to Moses that the terms of the covenant would be continually before the people and it would be an ongoing authority in their lives. 
Now, being in covenant is not something that we all hear a whole lot about. We don't preach on it a lot. We don't hear about it a lot. Yet understanding the covenant was very important to Israel. And it should be important to us even as New Testament believers. But what is a covenant relationship with God. What is that? Well, in our culture, we really don't talk about covenants. We talk more about contracts. And so I want to just briefly share the difference with you. Covenants and contracts are different in a few areas. First, contracts are made by the exchange of promises. Whereas covenants are sworn by solemn oaths. Contracts involve an exchange of property. For example, this is your piece of property. This is my piece of property. Whereas covenants involve an exchange of life. For example, I am yours and you are mine. Contracts are basically written up for profit and for self-interest. Whereas covenants are based on self-giving and self-sacrifice. Contracts are temporary, whereas covenants are permanent. And a covenant can even be multi-generational. Now, in order to understand the importance of a covenant, I want you to look at Deuteronomy 29, verses 12 and 13. I'm going to read it in the NIV version. This is Moses speaking to Israel, and he says, You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord, your God. A covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing it with an oath. Verse 13. To confirm you this day as His people. Say His people. And that you may, that He may be your God as He has promised you. Now I want you to notice what This language says, it says that he is your God, not just a God. In other words, the scripture says that we are his people and we are the sheep of his pasture. We are his people and he is the God. I want to remind you that you're more than just a people of a God that is made out of wood or precious metal or stone. The God that we serve is the Creator. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and He is the end. I want to encourage God's people today that the God that we are in covenant with is not a God of just enough. 
Your God is not in heaven this morning struggling to make it. He does not have a phone beside him that has 911 because he has never encountered an emergency. Your God is in control of every situation that is going on in your world and in our world. Notice what it says that he is your God. And we are his people. We're not just a people. We're his people. Now, for example, if you and I were to overhear a conversation and we heard someone say something like my Johnny or my Susie or my baby girl, Molly, then you would assume that the person that they are talking about is a family member, it's a child, or it is a spouse. We would know that there is a level of closeness there, a level of intimacy that moves beyond just a friendship. So notice what it says at the end of verse 12. It says, sealing with an oath to confirm this covenant. Again, we don't talk in terms of covenants as much today. So what is an oath that would seal this covenant? What does that mean? Well, it means an oath is an added confirmation, an absolute guarantee of the word and the intent of the person swearing. It is also the fetter that binds him or her to the truth. Here's what Hebrews 6 and 13 says. When God made a promise to Abraham, he swore by himself. For there was no one greater by whom he could swear. And he said, surely blessings, I will bless you. In other words, God, when he got ready to make a covenant with Abraham, he looked around And Solomon wasn't as great as him. And Moses wasn't as great. And the prophet Elijah wasn't as great. And Melchizedek wasn't as great. And so he looked around and he found no one greater than himself. So he swore by himself. He committed to an oath to Abraham. And he said, I am letting you know that I am the greatest that can, that can ratify this covenant and since there is none greater than me I'm going to swear by my own self that I will bless you Abraham so what is a covenant pastor a covenant is a relationship a covenant is a blending especially in the old testament of law and love And it's stunning because a covenant is a personal relationship to be loving and to be faithful no matter what the circumstances. Now, our society, we struggle with covenants. We struggle because we want everything to revolve around self. We want everything to revolve around the fulfillment 
of self. For example, two people look at each other and say, I will be what I should be as long as you are being what you should be. And if you're not, I'm out. That's what this modern culture says. But in a covenant, two people say, I will be what I should be, whether you are being that or not. I'm going to say that again. When you're in covenant, here's what you are supposed to say. I will be what I should be, whether you are what you should be or not. Now, that kind of language is real weighty for this culture. That scares this culture. When we think about being in covenant with God, this is exactly what God is saying. God is saying, I will be what I am supposed to be whether you are that or not. In other words, God is still faithful even when we're not faithful. God is still good even when we're not good. In other words, God says, I'm going to uphold my part of the covenant whether you do or not. Even when I'm rude to people and I'm not expressing the image of God in the earth like I should be, God is still patient with me. He is still faithful with us. Even when I do not love Him at times like I should, God does not back out of the covenant relationship and say, because you're not loving me like you should, I'm not going to love you like I should. This is what I want you to understand. When you and I get a revelation that we are in covenant with Jesus Christ, then we are not going to serve God out of fear. We're going to serve Him out of all of His love and His greatness and His unmatched mercy because the Scripture says that His mercy is renewed every morning and great is... His faithfulness. I want to encourage all of us this morning that being in covenant with God means that God is good even when we are bad. Here's what Romans 2 and 4 says. That it is the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. I know that you, many of you have been taught that God is out to get you. That if you mess up, God's going to strike you. I know I was taught that, but I'm here to tell you those men of God meant well, but that's really not the love of God. The nature of God is not to strike you. The nature of God is to love you. The nature of God, when He gets involved with you, is not to push you down. It's not to make your life miserable. The nature of God, when He gets in covenant with you, is to bring increase to your life, to lift you up above the shadows. And to bring you into the light. It is to love you with an everlasting love. That is unconditional. That your mind can't even wrap around the love 
of God. So in a covenant relationship, both parties have to be willing to say, I will be what I should be, whether you or not what you should be. And this is why when I stand before a couple and marry them, I ask them to repeat their vows out loud for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. Because brothers and sisters, marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. And that's why the enemy hates marriage. And that's why we all fought and fight H-E-L-L in our marriage. Because the enemy hates covenants. He doesn't want you to be in covenant with God. And he doesn't want you to be in covenant with your spouse. And he doesn't want you to be in covenant relationship with man. But I am here to tell you that come hell or high water, God is a covenant keeping God. So it's important that when we come to the stage in our life that we're going to marry, that we both say the vows. Because if only one person says the vows and the other doesn't, then what you can have on your hands is exploitation and even abuse. So a covenant relationship is where two parties are saying, you are more important than me. This is why selfishness can kill a marriage. When we don't go into a covenant marriage saying, you are important than me, then I am saying, I am more important than you. And I am speaking from experience, though I'm embarrassed to say it. That's where I started when I was 24. I didn't know it. I didn't verbalize it. But in my selfishness, I was saying I am more important than you. Janet, you need to be like me. You need to do it like me. And yet when you're in a covenant relationship, you should be saying you are more important than me. And the relationship is more important than my needs and I give you my independence as a part of my freedom and the gift of my love. You must understand that when I said I do when I was 24 I gave up saying I'm going to hang out with other girls and I'm only going to be with you. I'm not going to party with other girls. I'm only going to party with you. And when you get into a covenant relationship with God you must understand that anything you put before for God, God sees it as an idol. Whether it's golf, whether it's a sports car, whether it's money, be whatever it is, because God is saying, I am in covenant relationship with you, and nothing matters more to me, not your car, not your home, not your bank account. The most important thing to me is you. Do you understand this? And the reason why God gets aggravated at us when we sin is because sin opens the door for Satan to come into our life. It's not because God can't handle our sin. It's because when you follow after other gods, God knows that gods, the gods of this world, are going to take you down and decrease you. And so he's jealous over you because he doesn't want you to be decreased. He wants you to increase. He wants you to feel the love. He wants you to live this life. 
life and live it more abundantly. That's why he's in covenant with you. Now, if we understand what I just talked about, then you can understand the heart of what the Bible is all about. I can sum up Old Testament, New Testament in two words. Pastor, what is the Bible all about? Two words. Here it is. Covenant relationships. Relationship with God. Relationship with others. Now I want to get into the heart of what I want to say. Genesis 15. God makes a covenant with Abram. God has said to Abram, I will bless you. But Abram says back to God, how do I know? How, God, can I be sure? And God says, well, here is what I will do. I want you, Abram, to kill some animals. And I want you to cut these animals into pieces. And I want you to arrange the pieces in two rows. So that there is an aisle between the pieces. Now we may not understand that, but Abram did. Because back in the ancient Near East culture, in those days, when a great lord, little L, little L, wanted to make a covenant with a servant, this was how it was done. Animals were slain. The pieces were arranged, and when the servant took the oath of loyalty to the Lord, little L, the servant walked through the pieces. Why did he do this? Because he was acting out the curse of the covenant. He was saying, the servant was saying as he walked through the pieces, I swear loyalty to you, Lord, so that if I'm ever not loyal, then I take upon myself the curse of this covenant and you can cut me into pieces like I've cut this animal into pieces. And so Abraham did what God told him to do. He took the animals. He cut them into pieces. He laid them out so that there would be an aisle through the pieces. And Abraham understanding this covenant, because it was near Eastern culture to do this, he waited on the Lord because he knew that he was the servant and he was going to be the one that would walk through the pieces. So Abraham waits, he waits, and he waits. And Genesis 15 and 17 tells us that at the end of waiting most of the day, Darkness descends and comes down. And in the midst of the darkness, God appeared as a smoking furnace and as a burning torch. And God Himself walked through the pieces as He promised to bless Abraham. Now, almost every commentator who has tried to come to grips with Genesis 15 is startled. Because what it means is, is that God is not only saying, Abraham, I will bless you, but God is literally promising to die if He doesn't bless him. 
Furthermore, God is promising this is unfathomable to be torn into pieces if he doesn't bless Abraham. Now that is amazing, but that's not all. It's important to notice two things here. First of all, that God was the one who went through the pieces. But secondly, that Abram was never called upon to walk through the pieces. The scripture lets us know that the ceremony ends and we're told in Genesis 15 and 18. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. This, ladies and gentlemen, in the Near Eastern culture is absolutely unheard of. And Abraham knew what it meant. Though he didn't see how that it could be possible. Abram knew that God was making a promise for both of them. And he was taking the curse of the covenant upon himself for both him and Abram. And what God is saying is this. In Genesis 15, not only will I be torn to pieces if I don't keep my covenant, but I'll be in torn to pieces if you don't. Now that sounds too good to be true. Is God really saying to Abraham, I will bless you no matter what. Stay with me. Even if it means that my immortality must become mortal. Even if it means that my glory must be drowned in darkness. Even if I literally have to be torn in pieces. Yes, that's what God was saying. Because centuries later, darkness came down on Mount Calvary. And in the midst of darkness, there was God in the person of Jesus Christ. And he was literally being torn into pieces with nails and spears and thorns. And the flesh of his back was being broken into pieces. Why? Because he, Jesus, was taking upon himself the curse of the covenant so that we could enjoy the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's Paul who says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. In other words, Jesus Christ not only wants to give you the blessings of the covenant, He took upon Himself the curse of the covenant so that you would never have to endure that. He redeemed us, ladies and gentlemen, so that the blessings given to Abraham might come to all of us through Jesus Christ. And now this is the ultimate blend of law and love. You say, how so, pastor? Because on the cross... Jesus Christ absolutely fulfilled the conditions of the law so that God could love us absolutely unconditional. 
Are you with me? With His perfect life, Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the terms of the covenant and He earned the blessings. With His sacrificial death, He completely fulfilled the curse of the covenant and then that leaves the blessings for you and I and anyone who will lift up an empty hand in faith and ask for it. Here's what I want you to understand as I close. The weight of the covenant-keeping person is on the one who made the covenant. In other words, God Himself declares that I will be responsible for turning their stony hearts into hearts of flesh. In other words, God said, I'll be responsible for drawing you because you can't come to the Father by yourself. So I will draw you out of sin. I will take you out of sickness. And I will love you even though you're really unlovable. Am I making sense? He has declared, ladies and gentlemen, that not only is He Lord of the covenant, but He's also the suffering servant of the covenant. He not only initiated the covenant, but He was willing to go to Calvary so that you and I this morning could come and lift up holy hands even though many times we're not holy. Even though many times we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, God doesn't discord us. For the Scripture says He knows our frame and He knows that we are but dust. Brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to change you because I can't change you. What I do want to do is show you in Scripture how much that God loves you. He loves you so much that He was the one that initiated the covenant. He was the one that swore by Himself to honor the covenant. And He was the one that was willing to be torn in pieces so that you could have the blessings of the covenant. When you get a revelation of covenant relationship, I want to tell you that it will change the way that you enter into the presence of God. It will change the way that you serve God because you no longer walk around in fear that God is out to get me. Listen, I want you to understand something. Do you think, brothers and sisters, that God would do everything He has done for us and then put the weight on you to save yourself? Now fasten your seatbelt because I'm fixing to cross some of your theology. I'm not trying to make you mad. not trying to do it. But I'm going to tell you what I see. So God is willing to initiate the covenant. Be torn in pieces for the covenant. 
swear by none greater than himself to honor the covenant. And then he's going to put on you that you got to wear long sleeves to be saved. Sorry. You mean to tell me that God's going to go through all of that? He's going to leave heaven's throne and he's going to be born in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes. And God himself is going to be flesh. And then he's going to leave it to you to make sure that you wear long sleeves in order to be saved. Brothers and sisters, I'm sorry. But I wear long sleeves because I represent the image of God. And I go in modesty in my flesh because my body is the temple of God. And I live a modest lifestyle because I bear His image. But brothers and sisters, that is not what saves me. Don't walk out of this house saying, Pastor said, you can just do any old thing and live any old way you want because then you misrepresented me. What I am saying is this. Once you transfer your mindset from one of fear to one of love, you get the revelation of what Jesus did for you. And you want to be in covenant with Him so much because now I don't want to sin because of what He did for me. And I don't know about you, but it absolutely blows my mind that Jesus would go in covenant with someone like me. It absolutely blows my mind, brothers and sisters, that He picked me up out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock to stay. He put a song in my soul today. A song of praise. Hallelujah. Would you stand to your feet? I want you to get this point. In other words, here's what I want you to know, brothers and sisters. When God's people fail to live up to the covenant, are you with me? Say amen. If you didn't get anything else I said, get this. You ready? When God's people fail to live up to the covenant, the power of His salvation is not diluted. And His Word does not change. Pay attention. You've seen somebody come up on the stage before. You with me? Salvation comes by Christ alone. Not the merit of any person. So in other words, when you get to heaven and you tell God, God, I saved myself because I wore long sleeves. God is going to say, ah, wrong answer. Why should I let you up here? Because I taught Sunday school. Ah, wrong answer. Because I gave thousands to the church. Thank you for that. Thank you for teaching Sunday school. Thank you for wearing long sleeves. But all of those are wrong answers. When you get to heaven and God asks you why should I let you in here, you should point to Calvary and say it's all because of what you did.
the cross. I'm going to make sure you don't misconstrue me now. I believe in modesty and I can preach modesty. I just want you to understand that we do that because we bear His image, not because that is salvation. And when you make standard salvation, you have just created an idol because nothing should be above the crucified Christ that went to Calvary on your behalf and cut a covenant with you. So here's what that means, brothers and sisters. It means that we are covenant sons and covenant daughters. And the other day, I didn't do it just right. I could have done it different. But I'm going to tell you what I did, Lynn. I didn't hang my head in shame. I walked in even not having done it right. And I said this, I am a covenant son. And even though I did it wrong, you still love me. So I confess that I didn't represent you as well as I should have. But I thank you that you love me with my warts, my flaws. Mm. I want to encourage you today. I've been sent here on assignment to remind you God does not have grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. I love stepchildren, but you're not a stepchild. And I love foster children, but you're not a foster child. You are a son and you are a daughter that is in covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. And even when I am not what I am supposed to be, He still loves me. And it doesn't give me a license to sin. In fact, when I do... I weep and cry because I know the one who loves me more than I even love myself. I just hurt him. So now, brothers and sisters, as I wrap this up, I believe with all of my heart that when TPC gets a revelation that you are in covenant with God, you're not going to come and worship based off of what He's done for you. You're going to worship based off of who He is for you I gotta hurry but when that prodigal son messed up I see nowhere in the scripture in the book of Luke where the father kicked the dust off of his feet and said good riddance son I can't prove it but I believe in the spirit of the text that father was probably looking for that son every day Every day. Why? Because that was his son. And he was a good father. He was waiting on that boy to return home. Didn't matter that he had sinned against him. Didn't matter that he had taken his wealth before he should have. Didn't matter that he was rude and ugly to his father. They were in covenant relationship. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you've done this week. I don't know what you have faced, what you have said. I don't know if you haven't really presented God the best that He could have been presented. But I'm here to tell you, God loves you. He loves you. And when you get a revelation of how much God loves you, 
you'll no longer be afraid and you'll no longer want to sin because it will boggle your mind that somebody like Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to go to Calvary's tree and be torn into pieces so that he could be in covenant with you and bless you. Who would do that for me? Jesus. Who would do that for us? Jesus. Who is above all? Jesus. And brothers and sisters, when you fall in love with Him, you're going to know He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. What is He worthy of? He's worthy of my life. He's worthy of my love. He's worthy of my loyalty. So we just stop thinking about Man, I don't know that the Lord has done me right Can I tell you, God is in covenant with you And even when you don't understand Him He's working it all out For your good Because He loves you More than you love yourself I want you to say, God, help me to understand that I'm in covenant with you. And as you say that, I want you to step out of your view. And I want you to come and I want you to raise your hands. And I want you to start asking God, God, help me. Help me to get the revelation.
I realize you have to get older and mature in your faith because we are constantly growing and taking next steps. And though we have young babes in Christ, this is a mature church. This is, this is a church that's a legacy church. This is a 107-year-old church. This is a legacy church. This is a very mature church. And one of the reasons why that I am going to be teaching on the power of the covenant is because God wants us as mature sons and daughters to get beyond worship by how we feel. Because our culture is so in tune with feelings that we live our whole life. We mow the lawn based off of how we feel. We do, we go shopping based off of how we feel. We get up in the morning based off of how we feel. But brothers and sisters, this kingdom that you are in is an inverted kingdom. What do you mean by that? God says this is a walk by faith. It's not a walk by sight. In other words, in this kingdom, you don't walk by what you see. You walk by faith. In this kingdom, I don't praise God because He answered a prayer this week. I praise God because of what He did for me at Calvary. And because I am in covenant with Him and nothing. I know this is hard for Pentecostals to handle because you're not used to hearing this language. But I am telling you, Romans tells us that nothing can separate us from His love. The only thing that can separate us is if you make a choice, I am denying Jesus Christ and I am walking away from my relationship and even then He keeps on loving you and keeps reaching for you. But there is nothing, nothing that can separate us from His love. But we worship, even as mature saints, off of how we feel. And I want to keep coming to you in the spirit of love to say maturity understands that this is not based on feeling. This is based on covenant. I am in covenant with Christ. And all of the benefits of Calvary are mine through Christ Jesus. So when I look at someone now, I'm saying, Father, I'm in covenant with you. And it's not based off of what I've done, but it's based off of what you've done. I claim healing for my brother in the name of Jesus. See, I don't get my authority based off of my own authority. I get my authority because I am a son and you are a daughter. And we have been baptized in his name. And we have that authority because we are in covenant. Did you receive that word today? So I want to just tell you a few things before we go. Mr. Hunter Lundy was supposed to be here. He's running for governor. He was sick, and so he was not able to come. So we will reschedule. Then Marshall was riding on his motorcycle. A lady pulled out in front of him. She did not see him. He laid his bike over and he broke his leg. So um, Marshall and Sissy are actually on vacation this week, but he broke his leg. So if you'll be in prayer for him, I, I know that he would appreciate that. If you will be in prayer for the Mosleys, brother and sister Mosley have gone through a season of COVID and they are pillars in this church. And I think they're doing better. But if you'll just lift them up in prayer, I know that they would appreciate that.
Also, Tammy Perkins lost her 37-year-old daughter. And that is just an unfathomable loss to me. And I know that it is to her. So if you will lift her up in prayer this week. If you have a need, I want you to just lift your hands. A need that you have, just lift your hand. Pastor, I have a need. I have a need. I want you to know right now that you're in covenant with Jesus Christ. And He is the God of more than enough. Would you go right now and claim, Lord, I'm in covenant with you. And you was torn in pieces in your body and in your flesh so mine could be healed. God, you went to the cross, Lord, so that I could have the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father, I come to you this morning not based on who I am, but based on who you've called me. Come to you, God, based on a sonship with my heavenly Father. God, you see every hand that was raised today. You know every need. And I thank you for being the God of more than enough. In Jesus' mighty name. Kaylee, I just want you to sing this song again. TPC, I pray that you get a revelation of this. Because many of you ought to start stepping out and coming to the front. You say, Pastor, I can worship just as good in my chair, in my pew. I get that. I understand that. But I'm going to tell you something. Every miracle that I see in the Bible came with an instruction. What do you mean? Because every instruction was an act of faith. When they did what they were instructed to do, the miracle came. What are you saying? Every time you step out of that pew, you are acting in faith. God, I'm just wanting to be as close to you as I can. Because here's what I know. I'm about done. Here's what I know. That when this church gets the revelation that we're in covenant, and we start worshiping based out of covenant, healing's going to start coming to this house. And you will. I'm going to prophesy this. You write it down, I'll sign it. Healing will come to you right where you are. Salvation will come to you right where you are. Ministry will start flowing in these aisles in between the pews. And more and more people will want to start being here because they're going to say there's healing just in the worship. God meets needs just in the worship. How do you know that? Because when the praises go up, the glory, the glory of God comes down. When we start saying, Jesus, you are worthy. Holy, holy, holy.